0: Hi all, welcome back to Woe is
1: Media! Last week of Pride Month! Bow bow, 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 We're so sad, but you know what? We can celebrate Pride in any month. Heck yeah, we can! When everyone else recognizes it too. <laughs> or when the capitalist associations
0: and the economy recognizes it.
1: <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They should recognize Sorry. it more. <laughs>
0: Know how I feel about it, anyways. Annabelle, tell us what you're working on this week.
1: So, I have two pretty cool stories this week that I'm excited to talk about. Um, and Alyssa knows this because I texted her earlier and was like, I'm so excited to podcast. I have great stories this week. But my first story is about a particular media company that all of you are probably familiar with going public. Um, they filed for an IPO. So that's going on. And then my second story is about the great resignation wave. So people are just quitting their jobs left and right. And we're going to get into why. What you got, Alyssa?
0: In honor of the last week of Pride Month, I thought I'd do two shorter stories than I've been doing this uh, month. And I am focusing on an HIV AIDS educator, pioneer, as well as possibly the person who through the first brick at stone wall. Oh,
1: okay. It's highly
0: disputed. We'll get into it.
1: (laughs) Very nice. All right, let's get going. Okay, so first of all,
0: because um this story does talk about HIV AIDS, um I gonna start off by saying that I do not know everything there is to know about HIV and AIDS awareness, but I would like to think that both Annabelle and myself are very open-minded and we listen a lot and we would have been AIDS awareness people if we had been alive during the crisis in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And this story is a little sad, so prepare for that, but it's really, it's it's uplifting because you see so much that has progressed between um, the early 90s to 2021. So with that, I'm going to be telling you the story of Pedro Zamora. Annabelle, are you familiar?
1: The name rings a bell, but I can't say I know anything in detail about him.
0: No worries. That's why I'm here. (laughs) I don't know why I'm doing this like low- Sultry voice today. I don't know what's into me.
1: Anyway, everybody enticed to learning about I
0: know day. exactly. Let's learn about AIDS education together. So, Pedro Zamora was born in Diezmero, San Miguel del Patron, on the outskirts of Havana, Cuba, on February 29th, 1973. We got a leap year baby. Woo woo woo. His father was a food warehouse worker named Hector, and his mother was a housewife named Zoraida. And I love that name. Like it's spelled like Z-O-R-A-I-D-A. And I was like, how powerful. We love that. His parents fought in the Cuban revolution for Fidel Castro, but later became disillusioned with the changes that Castro brought after he came to power. So they weren't necessarily big fans of him at the time of Pedro's birth. And because of this, they had a very unfavorable reputation with the um, local community as well as informants in their area. So these informants were going around being like, you know, that Zamora Mora family, they're not fans. So it was a little dangerous at this time. Pedro was the eighth child, the youngest of the family. And Zoraida was told she could not have any more children. Thus, Pedro's birth on a leap day was seen as like sent from the gods so he was like, he, he's kind of not really a rainbow baby, but like this, this is meant to be, this child needs to be in our life kind of thing. Gotcha. Life was difficult for the Zamora family due to his father's views towards the government of the time. They lived in a small house with a dirt floor in Cuba and Zoraida traded on the black market in order to obtain food for the children. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. In 1980, his family left Cuba when Pedro was eight during the Mario Bolt lift, which I looked up and it was a mass immigration effort from Cuba to the United States over the course of about six months. And this is really sad. After five days of processing and hours after boarding their respective boat, Cuban officials actually ruled that. Pedro's four older brothers were too close to the draft age to leave Cuba. Mm-hmm. And his older sister was a communist official and also chose to stay. Like she had differing views from her parents. So five members of the family ended up leaving in the boat with 250 others that was constructed for half that number.
1: Oh gosh, they're just piling them in.
0: Yes. It's, it's very scary and it could have ended terribly. The family ended up settling in Hialeah, Florida, I believe is how you pronounce it, which is a suburb of Miami, which all love and support goes out to that community right now because obviously with the uh, partial building collapse that happened in Surfside this week, we're sending nothing but love and support and hope that all these families are able to find solace and that they closer. can find everybody. Exactly. There's
1: 150 people still on a floor. And as of this morning, looks like nine people perished yes. in the accident. So, yeah, very scary. And hopefully that can get resolved and hopefully no more deaths.
0: Also, I hope there's investigation launched after everything's going on. Because if you look into, like, what was going on, like, with this building complex, it's shady shit. Anyways, Zoraida died of skin cancer when Pedro was 13 years old. Sad. But... He was like, you know what? I'm going to do everything for my mama because she believed in me and she wanted what's best for me. And he ended up becoming a
1: story, huh? Exactly.
0: We love that. Don't we? We Yeah. He became an honor student at Hialeah High School. He was president of the science club, captain of the cross country team and voted most intellectual and best all around. Wow. Pedro was killing it out here
1: with the resume. Mm
0: hmm. His mother's death initially inspired him to pursue a career in medicine as well. I'm so sad. Um, At the age of 14, Hector, his father, discovered that Pedro had a boyfriend. (gasps) Scandalous. How dare he? He was very accepting, thankfully, but he was worried about like homophobia and potential dangers that could come along with that in various different forms, obviously, for his son. So he's like, I love you, I support you, I just want you to be careful. Right. Totally understand that. Cause obviously this is like the 80s um, and 90s. So it's 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 a different world. AIDS awareness at this time in America was rising because of the crisis that was going on. Uh, But Pedro was not educated about safe sex and AIDS prevention Mm -hmm. because, well, I'm not gonna make assumptions here, but Annabelle and I are both from the South and I don't know about her, but I can attest that sex education was not at the top of my high school's priorities list.
1: Um I went to Catholic school so we learned abstinence.
0: <laughs> we didn't even learn abstinence. So like they literally never talked about it. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's a story for another day, but yeah, I'm very much a proponent for teaching like advanced multiple forms of sex education in public schools. So Me too. Yes. Anyways. So like he said, it was not mentioned in school with the exception of one guest lecture by a doctor in seventh grade. So not even in high school, like we're in middle school and they're getting a sex ed talk. Judd Winnick, who goes on to become a friend of Pedro through the real world, which we'll get into later. He wrote a book called Pedro and Me, and he described in his book that AIDS and as well as AIDS victims were characterized as quote deviants, drug addicts, prostitutes, and quote unquote, those people. Ugh. So yeah, not, not great things going on at this point in America. I don't know. In late 1989, 17-year-old high school junior Pedro donated blood at a local Red Cross blood drive. But one month later, he received a letter from the Red Cross informing him that his blood tested reactive though it did not specify for what. They were just like, hey, there's something going on in your blood, but we're not gonna tell you why.
1: That wouldn't worry you at all.
0: No, not at all, like totally fine. God, anyways, this led to uh, Zamora's decision to take an HIV test on his own, and on November 9th, 1989, which that's my dad's birthday, shout out Jesse, Um, the results confirmed that he was in fact HIV positive. Oh no. Obviously, Pedro and his family were devastated, but they remained supportive. And they were like, we're going to get through this together, which I love. He set the goal to graduate from high school before he died. And this is so sad because it's like this poor boy had no idea about this like disease that was going on around the country. No one gave him the proper education for it. He didn't know how long he had to like live or possibly thrive with this Condition, so he was like, "I'm just going to make it a goal to graduate high school," mm-hmm. and he did so in 1990. Good. So he graduated high school five months after his diagnosis. He survived a severe case of the shingles. Ooh. During his recovery, of which he joined the Miami-based HIV/AIDS resource center called Body Positive. Okay, and met others with the ailment and learned more about the disease and how all was not lost. Like you know, obviously. When you get a very intense diagnosis of a disease, like sometimes you feel like there is nothing else worth living for. But that is not the case. And you have to like take advantage of the life that you have right here, right now. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's what Pedro was figuring out.
1: Ahead of this time. I feel like a lot of people with COVID are now realizing that you never know when things are going to get funky again. So when you have the opportunity to do things, you should do them. But he figured that out way ahead of some of the rest of us.
0: Yes. So this also led to him reaching out to others about his condition as a way to raise awareness in his particular community. And me, he became a full-time AIDS educator, lecturing at schools for all ages, PTA meetings and churches, nice. which is cool. Obviously he was openly gay at this time, but chose to focus on the infection being caused by unprotected sex. Like this once again the education of aids and hiv awareness at the time was very much like it's the gay people disease yeah and And
1: isn't that why they don't let people who have had or they don't let men who have had sex with men give blood correct because they're scared of hiv which doesn't make a lot of sense to me i'm not a doctor but i don't totally understand why that makes sense
0: they kind of lifted it during covid i believe because i remember reading that because i was like about damn time because this is so outdated and we have like so many other forms of like verifying that everyone's blood is safe before um donating it and whatnot but yes if you if you are a gay or bisexual man or have had um intercourse with a gay or bisexual man there is like a possibility that you will be turned away I believe mm-hmm. um obviously it's a very complex issue and we can do our homework later but yeah it's it's messed up um but yeah he was just trying to prove that like this disease could impact everyone like a lot of people remember in the late 90s um Eze from NWA that he was a straight man and he was he died from AIDS So it's like, oh, and of course we have Magic Johnson, who thankfully is still with us today. He identifies as a straight man, but he has it as well, Mm -hmm. and he's not letting it stop him. So yeah, it's not just like a one one demographic situation. Like I said, dispelling the misconception that AIDS only affects homosexuals. And in the next five years, Pedro spoke nationwide hundreds of times. He attended an international AIDS conference and served on the board of charitable trust endowed by insurance companies. Yeah, 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 money. Uh-huh. Um, although this is really sad. Um, he did this despite being denied his own insurance.
1: Oh, that's awful.
0: Yes, this poor man didn't have health insurance.
1: Let me guess, it was a pre-existing condition? Most likely, most likely.
0: Um, Obviously, the constant travel exhausted him, as it would any healthy individual, but especially someone dealing with a disease that is, like, this hard on the body. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1991, his work came to national attention as Eric Morgenthaler wrote a front page article about him for the Wall Street Journal. Very and nice. the publicity led to a talk show invitation from Geraldo Rivera, Phil Donahue, and Oprah Winfrey, like the big three at the time. On July 12, 1993, he testified before the United States Congress, arguing for more explicit HIV and AIDS educational programs. Good for him. Yes. And this is a quote from that testimony from pedro quote if you want to reach me as a young man especially a young gay man of color then you need to give me information in a language and vocabulary i can understand and relate to unquote well said we love it he attended the 1993 lesbian and gay march on washington where he met aids educator sean sasser who eventually became his partner
1: oh i know Beautiful story.
0: I know, I love it. Just these two beautiful people educating others about this disease and falling in love in the process. I love it. Um, He was moved by Zamora's presence and conviction. And this is a quote that Sean said when he first met uh, Pedro, he said, quote, I was kind of like, wow, I had never run across someone who was as good at it as he was. it's like, oh, that's beautiful. Shortly after meeting Pedro, Sasser learned that MTV's The Real World ever heard of it.
1: This is why I was familiar with the name.
0: Yes. The Real World World was looking to cast an HIV positive person in the 1994 season set in Sasser's hometown of San Francisco, California. So he was like, you should do this, Pedro. This would give you like a big old platform to talk about your um, your." Passion in life. So Pedro sent an audition tape in for the show, hoping to reach more people by national exposure. And it also would help with the constant travel aspect. Like sure. this is somewhere he could be for a long period of time and still get his message across. Mm-hmm. Six months later, he was cast, beating out over 25,000 other individuals. Very nice. He moved into 953 Lombard Street on Russian Hill on February 12th, 1994. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Lombard Street, I believe in San Francisco is that really, really crooked street that Mm -hmm. you see in like all the San Francisco like like travel stuff. And it's like, it's really cool to see it up in person because literally like the traffic you have to move so slowly because obviously you can't go like zipping and zooming down this like crooked ass (laughs) street. But it's cool to see. <laughs> his other six castmates were informed that one of the housemates was HIV positive, but were not told whom specifically. Mm-hmm. So, to kind of give them like less of a kind of prejudice kind of thing, Zamora later revealed his identity by showing them a career scrapbook of his life as an AIDS educator. He had a scrapbook. He had a scrapbook. He had a scrapbook. Had a scrapbook. Sorry. <laughs> excuse me i'm so i'm so (laughs) overwhelmed (laughs) pam ling was the only castmate with knowledge of how hiv was transmitted because she was actually studying to be a medical student at the time um and rachel Campos privately expressed her discomfort with pedro's status like in the house she was concerned with how it would affect her as well as others and didn't initially bring it up for fear of coming off as intolerant. Like she was like, I'm a little worried, but I don't want it to seem like I hate him. She's like, that's not what the issue is. I'm just worried about the health and safety of others because she once again was not as educated as say Pam was.
1: Sure.
0: Um, She did distance herself from Pedro, which he took as rejection, but they later talked and she learned more about, him as well as his career in education and developed a rapport despite differing political views which is always nice you know when people can get along despite that judd winnick Where are when, those days <laughs> right exactly oh my god <laughs> far behind us far behind like i wish it wasn't that way but sadly it is for some people judd winnick who I mentioned before with his book, Pam Ling and Corey Murphy ended up attending Zamora's Bay Area lectures, seeking to learn more. So even while he was at the filming the real world, he still did like local area lectures, which is really cool. And like I said before, Sean and Pedro began dating during the show. And he proposed to Pedro and the two exchanged vows and a commitment ceremony in the real world house, oh, making wow. history as the first same-sex commitment ceremony on national television.
1: Wow. Wow. Breaking records, blazing trails.
0: Amen. So midway through filming, Pedro's health began to decline once again. He developed like night sweats, uh, pneumonia bouts, fatigue, and uh, lost a lot of weight. And he also had a conflict at the time with David Rainey, who was nicknamed Puck. Which I'm not going to say anything, but I. Mm-hmm. Um, questionable nickname. Yes, exactly. Obviously, this was before a certain television show was Popular, but yeah. So Rainey mocked Pedro's Cuban accent, dismissed his relationship with Sean, and made multiple homophobic comments during his time in the house. And Pedro initially was like, you know what? I'm just going to move out. I'm going to let him have this. It's not worth it because I'm sick right now and I don't need this energy sure. to deal with.
1: Understandable. If somebody's mm-hmm. going to be that awful to you, exactly.
0: i have have a good story to tell you about his castmates decided to evict puck instead yes they were like we like you more anyway set up for him that's good this um confrontation later ranked number seven on time magazine's list of 32 epic moments in reality tv history (laughs) Which I tried to find when this list was uh, published and I could not find it. So if anyone has a link, let me know.
1: Survivor is definitely out there at least once. Oh,
0: definitely. Uh, Johnny Fairplay with the dead grandma. Yeah, that's up there. <laughs> um, this made it able for Pedro to participate in more filming activities. And he was definitely giving off the impression that he was healthier than he was. Mm-hmm. And the cast vacated the house on june 19th 1994 juneteenth power to the people and the first episodes began airing just a week later which holy shit like that's that's a fast turnaround even though they've been filming since february but still like production world it's like wow i guess
1: they edited as they
0: went along i guess so because that seems like a (laughs) lot Um, Zamora visited Miami family before returning to San Francisco to live with Sean. He was visibly ill in August at a reunion party. He was very silent. He had difficulty following conversations and he was forgetting familiar places that he had been before. Mm. On August 17th of that year, which is also my friend George's birthday, he checked himself into St. Vincent's Hospital in Manhattan, sorry, and was diagnosed with toxoplasmosis. I don't know what that is. Neither did I. Um, so it is a condition that causes brain lesions, fatigue, headaches, and confusion. Ooh. And further tests revealed that he also had what was called progressive multifocal, multifocal leucoencephalopathy, which is a rare and fatal viral inflammation of the brain that disrupts the nervous system. And it can dissipate on its own when the patient's T-cell count is higher than 300 or 400. Like that's the average range. Mm -hmm. And T-cells are normally what's used in determining like how you're doing when it comes to HIV and AIDS awareness. Once again, I'm not an expert in HIV or AIDS, but I do remember like when I would watch like Rent as a child, you know, they have the AZT break thing and the t-zone ca- or not t-zone the t-cell counter okay. so they had that so a normal person once again like i said their t-cell count is higher than between 300 or 400 would you like to take a guess as to where pedro's was so his was too low 100 mm-hmm. his t-cell count was 32 wow
1: yeah oh my goodness
0: because of this, he was given three to four months to live. And on September 3rd, which is one of my brother's birthdays, um, he was flown to Mercy Hospital in Miami. And this is when it kind of, you know, things start. You oh, know, it's, getting, it's getting real. Because of this, President Bill Clinton at the time called him to thank him for his work in AIDS education and awareness. And Clinton also asked if there was anything he could do for Zamora and his family. And Pedro requested that his remaining siblings in Cuba be with him in his final days. He was like, I want to see my family. Oh, I know, right? This resulted in Alonzo R. Del Portillo, Attorney General Janet Reno, Secretary of Health and Human Services at the time, Donna Shalala, and Florida Congressman Ileana Rose Lethanin, Forming an agreement with Cuba that allowed twenty thousand Cubans to enter the United States per year, and I, I don't know if this is still going on, but for a while this was, this became like Peyton Place, like this was, this was going on for a while. The family reunited for the first time in fourteen years as a result of this agreement. Aww. On October 21st, former castmate Judd Winnick announced MTV had established a trust fund to help pay Zamora's medical cost, as once again, Pedro didn't have any medical insurance.
1: Right, because he couldn't. They wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm.
0: He had received Medicaid in the past, but was rejected for any private company coverage due to his pre-existing condition of HIV. Yep. There we go. We're there not you. happy about it. We're mad. Before his hospitalization, Pedro requested not to be kept alive by artificial means because his mother obviously had suffered a prolonged death in her skin cancer battle, and he was like, I don't want to do that. Once he became unresponsive, his family honored his wishes and withdrew life support. Surrounded by family, friend Alex Escarano, partner Sean Sasser, Judd Winnick, Pam Ling, Pedro Zamora died at 4:40 a.m. on November 11th, 1994. Wow. And ironically, this was hours after the final episode of the real world San Francisco had aired. Hmm. He was buried, I believe in um, Miami on November 13th of that same year. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, he had been praised by President Clinton at the time and Donna Shalala for his leadership in educating high school students about AIDS awareness. And through his appearance on The Real World, he became a, quote, family member to viewers and everyone who had watched the show because now they could say they knew someone who had AIDS because, you know. Like a lot of times when it comes to a disease that not many people are familiar with, like even with like COVID and stuff like that, it doesn't really hit home until, you know, someone who's personally affected by it. Right. Absolutely. So this was like kind of his way of saying like, now, you know, someone like I'm your friend, I'm your family member. MTV pro- broadcasted a memorial program for Zamora following his death, and on February 28, nineteen ninety five, a portion of the street in wi- in front of Macmillan Middle School in Miami was renamed Pedro Zamora Way. Aww. A number of organizations were created in his name, including the National Pedro Zamora Foundation, which was founded by Winnick, Ling, Millie Zamora, and Sasser, and all four founders later distanced themselves from the foundation due to con with its then president, which I'm not gonna get into because this is too much. Um, on the other hand, the Pedro Zamora Memorial Fund was created by the AIDS Action Foundation, the Pedro Zamora Youth HIV Clinic, and the Pedro Zamora Public Policy Fellowship was also created. His sister Millie became a public speaker on AIDS awareness, and Judd Winnick continued lecturing on Pedro's behalf for three years and released an autobiographical graphic novel titled Pedro and Me, Friendship, Loss, and What I Learned, which was published in September of 2000. Winnick's experiences with Zamora also shaped his work in mainstream superhero comics, such as Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and both- have explored gay and or AIDS-related themes because okay. of Pedro Zamora. Good. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Pam Ling devoted her medical research to HIV and AIDS as a result, because like I said, she was studying to become a medical student when she was on The Real World. Sean Sasser continued his LGBT activism and work as an AIDS HIV educator. In 1995, he spoke at the inaugural White House AIDS conference appointed by President Clinton to the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS. In June 2013, he married Michael Kaplan, whom he had dated on and off uh, following Pedro's death. And while living in Washington, D.C., he served as board member of the AIDS Alliance for Children, Youth, and Families. And In July of 2013, having lived with HIV himself for 25 years, he was diagnosed with mesothelioma and sadly died at his home on August 7th, 2013 at the age of
1: 44.
0: Yes. In 2008, Bune Murray Productions produced a movie called Pedro, which dramatized Zamora's life. It was directed by Nick Oceano and it was an official selection at 2008's Toronto International Film Festival, Fun fact, this is how I learned about Pedro. Like I was at home back in like 2008 and I was watching MTV and this movie came on and I was like enthralled with it. Like I just watched it like from front uh, from front to back and I just, I did my research later and I was like, I I, lo- I I love this man. He's so cool. In 2009, the National AIDS Memorial Grove in San Francisco began the Youth Essay Scholarship Program, renamed the Pedro Zamori Young Leadership Leaders Scholarship in 2014. And every August, the scholarship program gives awards ranging from $2,500 to $5,000 to high school seniors and college students who are actively fighting HIV and AIDS through public service and leadership. Wow. And to end off, in 2019, Zamora was one of the inaugural 50 American pioneers trailblazers and heroes inducted on the national lgbtq wall of honor within the stonewall national monument in new york city's stonewall inn and that wow. is the story of pedro zamora
1: he seems like a really good example of somebody who like took sour lemons and made them into a very sweet lemonade like really he though really worked to to educate and try and remove the stigma um and like, he certainly didn't have to put himself in a literal fishbowl by going on <laughs> the real world, but he did, you know, for his cause, which I don't know. I just, that that just speaks volumes about his character to me. And I think that's definitely good that MTV didn't shy away from having something not controversial, but like having someone with an illness like that, that's maybe a little bit more taboo yeah. on the show and to talk about it openly. And I'm glad that he was able to kind of talk to young people about it and kind of remove some of the, the myths. Yeah. That's a good story.
0: Thank you. I'm sorry it like ended very sadly, but I promise my next one's a little more exciting. I'll
1: get into my first story. So this is called an IPO causing a buzz. Ooh. A nudge, nudge. So BuzzFeed is going public, people. It's going public via a $1.5 billion spec. Ooh. Remember what a SPAC is, Alyssa, from a few episodes ago?
0: I do remember the name. I can't remember what it stands for.
1: That's okay. It stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Quote. So... That's it. We'll get into this. So... BuzzFeed is not obviously a new company. Most people are probably familiar with it either for their news or their quizzes or their lists or their tasty section. (laughs) All of that stuff. They've got a lot of good things going on there. Um, BuzzFeed is a 15 year old company and has decided to go public because it has a new plan to pioneer media, quote unquote. So there's obviously a lot of competition in the digital ad space right now. And there's only so many companies that are able to compete with Apple and with Amazon and with Google and Facebook, who, by the way, Facebook, Google, and Amazon receive 90% of the online ad revenue. Three companies receive 90%. So every one in 10 ads you see does not go to one of those three companies. Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So that's why we're kind of seeing some consolidation in the media. We've talked about this before with Verizon, you know, spinning off its media unit, at and spun off theirs, they're kind of getting snapped up and bundled into other things with the hope to generate more ad revenue and take away some of that money from Facebook and Google and Amazon. Um, but CEO Jonah Peretti, who also founded the company, he originally worked at the Huffington Post, which is kind of interesting because BuzzFeed now owns the Huffington Post, so it kind of became full circle but this originally started out as kind of like a side hustle for him. Um, but it ended up obviously becoming his lifeline and a big deal because BuzzFeed is big deal. Of yeah. a um, so BuzzFeed originally, I didn't know this, but they tried to sell themselves to Disney in 2014 for a oh. billion dollars. It did oh. not work. Um, the deal was rejected by Disney, but they did you know keep up the good work and they kind of continued their success um you know working continually in 2016 buzzfeed received a 1.7 billion dollar valuation so it was becoming more and more valuable every time um and they've really kind of established themselves at this point as not just kind of a fun fluffy website but they have an actual news division and their news division buzzfeed news won a pulitzer prize for its reporting
0: they do yeah
1: they're getting a little bit more legit here um they are spacking We'll just verb that. <laughs> it's not it's really. But they are spacking with a company called Eight Ninety Fifth Avenue. Alyssa, do you know? Does that address ring a bell? I
0: mean, it's Fifth Avenue, so it's definitely something expensive.
1: So eight. This is about the nerdiest thing I've ever heard, and no shade if you are part <laughs> of this fan group. Um, at Hannah, we love you. But Eight Ninety Fifth Avenue is the headquarters for the Avengers. Ah in the movies and in the comic books and this company that BuzzFeed is spacking with is named for that so I guess their CEO is a big Avengers guy. Oh how cute. A little nerdy but I guess if you have an empty company remember SPACs when you go public with a SPAC you you are trying to raise money with the intent to buy or merge with another company down Mm -hmm. the line so 895th avenue does not actually do anything they're just a blank check company trying to raise money um so yeah that's um that's where the name comes from is the avengers but so buzzfeed is always kind of working to adapt and pivot in this ever-changing pivot what'd you say Pivot. pivot yeah no they they're always working they're always hustling um they invented something called the listicle yes Yes, which is very great clickbait. I mean, it's like thirty-two things you'll remember if you were a millennial growing mm-hmm. up in the '90s, and they'll just show you pictures of Furby and, you know, GoGurt and <laughs> Dunkaroos and that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, GoGurt. But good, good clickbait for sure. Um, and they also pioneered something called native advertising. So this is pretty cool, actually. So, a brand will, like, write an article and post it on BuzzFeed, and they'll try to disguise it as something that, like, a regular BuzzFeed reporter would post. Okay. Like, covered in... It's like, how to wash your clothes (laughs) and get all your stains out, but it'll be written by Tide, and it'll be like, use Tide, da-da-da-da-da, and that's kind of a way for BuzzFeed to generate ad revenue, because the company... Just puts their brand all over it so it's kind of like product placement but it's not directly an ad if that makes sense it's within the content of the article so that's pretty cool that's not something you see on a lot of other places and buzzfeed was the the company that kind of pioneered that Um, and now they're trying something where they are offering content creators a cut of ad revenue if they post their viral meme and viral content exclusively on BuzzFeed instead of social media so if you're like a TikToker or I don't know just like somebody with a funny blog or something like that BuzzFeed will be like you lost some money you gonna put that here you're not gonna put that anywhere else and people will be like okay more money so <laughs> it's um it's kind of like a partnership idea but it's pretty genius because they don't actually have to do the work they're not doing the content creation but they're still getting about to say clicks and views and ad revenue out of it Um, So like I said, they're working constantly to compete with Google, Facebook, and Amazon for that ad revenue. So that's why they're always trying to adapt because they want to stay in the hunt. So they're very much, it's kind of like a survival of the fittest thing and BuzzFeed is not going to be extinct. They're working very hard not to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So also with this IPO, they are acquiring a media company called Complex. Have you heard of it?
0: No, but I am as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had not heard of it either. Um, it's, it's actually targeted toward Gen Z. I'll get into that in, in a ah, second. But Complex, yes. they are acquiring for $300 million. Um, and they are working to combine other struggling media outlets into kind of one mega media company to better compete with big tech. So again, okay. we're gonna probably more consolidation going on here in this space. Um, And they will potentially be able to do this because going public is going to give BuzzFeed more access to capital, kind of a little bit more street cred. They'll be talked about in the media um, and that'll get other media companies potentially interested in maybe merging with BuzzFeed. So Hmm. it's definitely a good thing for them and their future and trying to continue to get bigger and survive. Um, So a little bit about Complex it's a global youth network designed to engage with millennials and Gen Z. We've never heard of it. So I guess they do better with Gen Z than they do millennials. Oops. Um, Oops, sure baby. Probably- <laughs> um, as we have our side parts and wear skinny jeans. Um, so. <laughs> yep. Complex is currently owned by Verizon and Hearst. Um, so again, we're seeing Verizon getting away from the media and kind of just trying to focus on their five G and their wireless division. Um, so that's they're selling this off. Um, BuzzFeed, when they do go public, we they will trade under the ticker BZFD, which makes sense. It's BuzzFeed. Yeah. Um, not the most exciting ticker, but that's okay. Um, We don't know what exchange they'll be on yet. My guess would be NASDAQ because they are kind of an internet-based company, and NASDAQ is known for being a little bit more tech-heavy, but it could be the New York Stock Exchange. We'll just have to see. Um, Lately, SPACs have been struggling a lot, actually, because, okay, I don't want to be like, I said it first, but
0: Say it, queen. Speak your truth.
1: Back on this podcast several weeks ago, don't said that there is a SPAC bubble. And guess what? There is. There is. <laughs> there, to, SPACs have really been struggling. Their prices are way down right now because there are a lot of sketchy businesses that have operations going and they're trying to, they've been kind of involved with SPACs and they've been trying to go public that way. But there's a lot of businesses I almost did one for a story this week, but I decided not to. Um, Like Lordstown Motors, they're a company that supposedly was creating a bunch of electric trucks and they fabricated a bunch of pre-orders that they claimed that they had. You know what? They didn't have any orders and they were trying to go public via SPAC and this hedge fund called Hindenburg looked into it and was like, this company's a sham and they are. (laughs) So as we said in the SPACs episode, Standards inevitably slip when things get so popular and, you know, companies that thought they could maybe get away with it and still raise money regardless, they're getting found out. So here are the standards slipping.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. So SPACs can, however, they can, the, the, the biggest benefit of them is the time that they save and you're not throwing a bunch of money at an investment bank, which even though I work at a bank, I understand that wanting to throw a bunch of money at one. <sighs> Um, <laughs> they can cut down on 75% of the time that it would normally take to go to get a stock trading, um, and it would make it easier to get prospective buyers on board. Um, so a little bit about the Avengers company, 895th Avenue. Um, it's a blank check, check company. Like I said, that's how SPACs are. They don't actually do anything or create any products or services. Um, and they are focused on tech, media, and telecom. And they went public in December two thousand and twenty, with the goal to raise up to two hundred and fifty million dollars. Um, it trades on NASDAQ as ENFAV. If anybody's interested, um, you can invest in the SPAC that way.
0: In fav.
1: In fav. Yes, on <laughs> NASDAQ. Um, and they currently have two hundred eighty-eight million in cash after their, their IPO, so they hit that goal of two hundred fifty million. So they're doing pretty well. This seems like exactly kind of the type of company they wanted to merge with. So looks like it's working out well for them. And the merger is expected to close in the fourth quarter of this year, 2021. Yay. So we'll see what happens there. I think it'll, I don't really see any holdups with um, Congress or anything like that just cause Buzzfeed is not big tech. And I think Congress will be all for it because they are very anti big tech right now. Um, The management team is expected to stay the same at Buzzfeed. Uh, Jonah Peretti will remain a CEO and their CFO Felicia Dea Fortuna will remain in place as well. And 890 Fifth Avenue chairman, Adam Rothstein who I guess is the big Avengers fan to name his company after that. um, He will also join the new board. Um, So yeah, that's what I've got on that story. It's kind of exciting just because I feel like Buzzfeed is something everyone somewhat familiar with like regardless of what you use it for um so Alyssa have you ever taken a BuzzFeed quiz? Hmm. I believe I have
0: you okay know, one, once maybe
1: well we're gonna take one now on air we're Yay! gonna the short one um but I'll kind of like read the questions out loud um and you pick your answer for yourself and I'll pick my answer for myself and then we'll We'll share our results. It's just a short one. I love this. Those. Quiz, I thought it would be a fun little interactive segment because I don't usually get to do those with mine. So, this uh, quiz is called It's Time to Find Out If Harry Styles Would Want You in His Friend Group. <laughs> and we're doing this in honor of our best friend Hannah, who is the biggest Harry Styles fan in the world and would definitely be part of Harry Styles' friend group.
0: I was about to say, she doesn't have to take this quiz, but we have to to make sure that we could hang out with her
1: yeah let's see if we're up to snuff here so okay. do you have it pulled up
0: yes mm-hmm. I'm All ready right.
1: <laughs> question one how would you describe yourself smart funny shy extroverted loyal or kind
0: I'm gonna say loyal because that's like always what I go for because like I'll I'll beat a bitch like if, <laughs> they some, if one of my friends
1: <laughs> I would actually say the same for myself Yay! So I'll click that one Oh my gosh. Okay. Question two, pick an artist you love. Doja Cat, Ariana Grande, Lizzo, Frank Ocean, Billy Eilish, or Drake.
0: Hmm. I wonder which one Annabelle's gonna pick.
1: Okay, see, you don't know because my two favorite artists are on here and I don't know which one to pick. I know which oh, one. Oh really? Because I
0: automatically there. was like, she's gonna pick Drake first. Like I know you love Ariana, but like
1: You're picking Lizzo, aren't you?
0: I mean, duh, like I love all these people pretty much, but like Lizzo's Lizzo's in my top three artists right now. So
1: okay, pick, I'll, I'll go with Drake. Um, yeah, you're right. I love yeah, them all.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, number three, pick a vacation destination. Paris, France, LA, California, Positano, Italy, Tokyo, Japan, Berlin, Germany, or London, England.
0: So this is the most privileged brag that I could ever come up with on this podcast but I've actually been to all but one of these countries or areas and the only one that I haven't been to is Tokyo Japan so and I I've wanted to go to Tokyo for years like for years so obviously I'm going to pick Tokyo
1: nice I'll pick Berlin because that's on my list but I haven't been there yet
0: I remember when I went, you were like, like I asked, I was like, which country do you want a uh, postcard from? And you were like, Germany.
1: <laughs> I got some German ancestry. That's probably why I said that. Heck yeah! Okay, question four: What's your favorite band? One Direction, Tame Paula, Arctic Monkeys, The Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, or the 1975?
0: So I love all of these people like a little bit. I can't say they're any of them are like my absolute favorites but I was that girl in middle school that thought she was so cool and different because she listened to Beatles. So I know the most Beatles songs and I have the most knowledge of the Beatles. So I'm going to say them.
1: Okay. I'm actually going to go to the 1975 here.
0: I like them as well. I was listening to them
1: yesterday, so. Okay. Question, I think five. (laughs) Do you like reading books? Yes, sometimes, or it's not for me.
0: I don't know why that makes me laugh. Do you like reading books? (laughs) um I will say like I love collecting books but I'm terrible about like reading them at a frequency that matches the rate that I'm buying them but I also love reading like webtoons and comics online Mm -hmm. so yes I'm still technically reading books so I'm gonna say yes
1: I actually am trying to read more and I bought a Kindle on Prime Day
0: Ooh. to
1: help me with that. And I've been reading every day this week, which is Look more than in the last like year because I suck and I do Sudoku puzzles instead of reading books. So me! I'm going to put yes as well. I love me a Sudoku puzzle. Okay, last question. Sorry, this one is visual, so it's not the best for a podcast, but it says, lastly, pick a room. And it just has a bunch of bedrooms. Of different styles and aesthetics. I guess one of these is, a couple of them are living rooms. I'm going to pick a bedroom to sleep.
0: I was about to say, like, some of these look like a bedroom-living room combo.
1: Combo. I'm going to do the girly-looking one. Which would be? With the printed bedspread and the the prints on the wall.
0: Oh, okay. Very symmetrical-looking. Yes. Um, uh, this one's hard for me. I think I'm gonna go the very last one, which is kind of giving me like a Manhattan kind of like studio apartment vibe. Like there's a printed carpet, like an area rug on the floor. The couches are blue, there's big bay windows and there's a lot of pictures on the wall. So I'm gonna go with that one.
1: Nice. Okay, what's your result? Harry would love to be your friend. I'm sad now. mine so sorry but no sorry love it looks like you didn't convince harry to accept you into his friend group i'm sorry i'm yeah me too i feel bad i hope hannah doesn't disown me now i feel bad because this was your idea i mean i can't say i'm surprised like i don't know i feel like i never get the result you're supposed to get with those <laughs> quizzes because you're supposed to pick certain things and i'm like nah
0: i think i'm artsy fartsy enough for him not saying that you're not i love you but you're i'm very, not but you're but you're creative and talented in your own ways and we're all different and we love that's what makes the world go round
1: i'll go hang out with drake y'all can hang out with harry styles i mean you can have him <laughs> that's fine <laughs> what you got for your second story Alyssa? okay so secondly
0: because this is the end of pride month I wanted to obviously do someone that I could directly trace back to the Stonewall riots, which for those of you who may not know is the catalyst event for the modern gay rights movement. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into it in my story, but in a lot of situations um, that talk about Stonewall, there are very similar names that always pop up, and one of those being Marsha P. Johnson, and I want to say off the bat that I love and respect the legacy of Marsha P. Johnson so much as like she is everything like she was this amazing trans icon that also worked as a drag queen she was so cool she was obviously very instrumental in the gay rights movement not just in stonewall but following stonewall as well up until her very tragic death um which not so fun fact but interesting fact um it's an unsolved murder and it is obviously yet to be solved based on the fact that i just said it's unsolved But if you would love to go and look up more about Marsha P. Johnson, I highly recommend it. There is actually a documentary on Netflix right now called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, I believe. Great story. Please look into her. She's fantastic. But I also wanted to take time to talk about other people that were also involved in the Stonewall riots that may not get as much traction as Miss Johnson. So today I will be talking about the life and legacy of Stormy. De Lavier,
1: ooh, that's a fun name.
0: I know, right?
1: Not to be confused with the uh, Stormy Daniels, correct? No, okay. Stormy Daniels. from the head of state.
0: Sorry, singing Meg. Uh, <laughs> so, Stormy was born December twenty fourth or twenty fifth. I have yet to really, you know figure it out and i'll get into it in a second 1920 in new orleans louisiana to a white father and an african-american mother her mother actually worked as a servant for her father's family so it was kind of like one of those situations don't know much about her early life because there isn't much to figure out so i don't know if it was a consensual relationship or what was going on there but nevertheless Stormy has claimed in the past to never have been given a birth certificate and was not actually certain of her exact date of birth, but she always celebrated it in December around Christmas time. So because of her mixed race heritage, she was bullied and harassed very much during her childhood, especially in 1920s New Orleans a lot going on in that time period in that area she rode jumping horses with the ringling Brothers circus as a teenager
1: so she was literally a circus kid yeah okay. but she
0: had to stop after being injured in a fall
1: oh
0: i know right she realized that she was a lesbian near the age of 18 and she had a partner named Diana, who was also a dancer, who lived with her for about 24 years be- before Diana's death in the 70s. And this is really sad. Stormy carried a photograph of Diana with her at all times, apparently. Aww. Like, even after her death. Like, And this is according to a uh, friend, Lisa Canastrosi. But I just think that's so precious. Like, I, I love, you know, obviously... People can fall in love multiple times in this in this lifetime, but I always adore the idea of you know that first love that you never really forget and you always like have a soft spot in your heart for. So that like touched me.
1: Still waiting for that. Bless you. And now I've made Alyssa laugh and she can't get it. Sorry, I'm like I'm like sneezing and laughing at the
0: same time. Same girl. Anyways. I'm single. Hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit um, to the 50s and the 60s, where Stormy was actually involved with this group known as the Jewel Box Review. And it was a black theater group that was on the circuit as, and she portrayed the MC and she was the only drag king in this review. Nice. Yes. Love it. The Jewel Box was also North America's first racially integrated drag review, which is really freaking cool. And they regularly played at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And two mixed race audiences, I will add that. Um, This was from 1955 until 1969. Stormy was known for her very deep baritone voice and she drew inspiration from Dina Washington as well as Billie Holiday, who she knew both personally. Cool. Yeah, a love highly Holiday. During many of the shows, audience members would try to guess who the quote unquote one girl was among the performers. And Stormy would reveal that she was the woman in a musical number called quote, a surprise with a song, <laughs> which I love. She was very well known for her tailored suits and she sometimes wore a mustache and i put under this just quote unique ass style and i love it because um oh sorry bumped my mic i actually watched a very short documentary about her on um youtube you can find for free and she made a comment about when she was like in this young adult phase of her life like she would try and go out like dressed as like dressed in female clothing like on the streets and save the quote-unquote like cross-dressing for um her shows and Perfect. she said i believe she said she got picked up twice for cross-dressing because people thought she was a man they're like you're a man dressed as a woman she's like no i'm
1: not like I'm damn a woman dressed as a woman yeah leave me alone you want to see me cross dress? Come like to the Harlem, <laughs> come to the show come to the apollo
0: <laughs> come to the show you gotta pay for that shit but yeah it's just once again just a Testament to the fucked up idea of like gender expression, you know, why we gotta have one view of what is masculine and what is feminine and what all not. Anyways.
1: Let me guess she wore pants or something and they were like, you're cross dressing.
0: Yeah, no, she wore like suits and whatnot. So they were like <gasps> shakyus. Um <laughs> She had experience in theatrical costuming performance as well as makeup and like I said before she could pass as either a man or woman black or white so she was like the at the time the height of androgyny. Nice. So her offstage persona posed androgynous and inspired other lesbians at the time to adopt what had formerly been considered quote men's clothing as Mm streetwear. So I'm not gonna sit here and say like, she's the first lesbian to dress like a man. Cause that's, you know, that's obviously we don't know for certain and that's up to interpretation but she definitely um, helped to inspire what came to be like considered very like quote unquote lesbian style. And once mm-hmm. again, however you identify and however you choose to dress that's your style because we're not trying to put you into a box, sweetie. Like, that's not our job here. However, you choose to dress is your business and not mine or Annabelle's. That's right. Anyways, <laughs> she was photographed by Diane Arbus, who was a very um, famous photographer in this time period. And she had a very heavy, heavy influence on, like I said, gender non conforming styles in women's fashion and unisex fashion becoming. Um, This was before unisex was kind of a widely recognized term, like something that could go either way. Mm -hmm. So just, I I love that idea of this queer woman being able to influence modern fashion and gender expression. Like, I just love that. Like fashion is one of my favorite things in the entire world. I love clothes and I love the idea of expressing yourself through what you put on your body. Mm -hmm. And so it's always very important to me to not put yourself in a box when it comes to how you dress because at the end of the day it's your body and you're wearing what makes you feel most comfortable so like if you want to wear a skirt if you want to wear all denim if you want to wear like boots with a fur like
1: apple bottom jeans.
0: who yeah exactly who cares because it makes (laughs) you happy like I just uh I love clothes crocs if you
1: want to wear crocs
0: I mean that's debatable
1: (laughs) I will judge you but like you can wear
0: If you find them comfortable, like that's the one thing with Crocs. Everybody always talks about like how comfortable they are. But like when I owned a pair, when I was like nine, I didn't think they were that comfortable.
1: I think they're a trip hazard. And I think they're for people who do not know how to tie their shoes, like little children and people people who have like obviously physical, not problems, but like physical, um, you know, dexterity. Like they—they're not as good with their fingers. It's for, okay.
0: You can say my name.
1: No, no, no I mean the like people with like who are in physical therapy for that kind of thing. Or oh, okay,
0: I got you, you. You know, I was like, I do trip a lot.
1: I mean, I trip a lot too. I tripped this morning. No judgment. Okay. Oh Here we God. are, chair so we don't fall over. Love that. Okay,
0: so now on to, in fact. Tomorrow is the anniversary of Stonewall at the time that we were recording this. The thing about Stonewall is a lot of people think it was very, like, peaceful and just, like, we're not gonna take it. But no, like, people were- we ain't ups- gonna take
1: it. <laughs> That's the rest of the lyric. I Damn. But it's it, it was
0: very much, like, it, it, was a, it was against the police at the time. So- on June 28, 1969, a scuffle broke out when a woman clad in handcuffs, believed to be Stormy, but once again this is disputed, was roughly escorted from the Stonewall Inn in New York City to a police car. And for those of you who don't know, the Stonewall Inn was one of the only like um, bars in New York City at the time that openly like allowed uh, members of the LGBTQ um, community to partake uh openly like it wasn't like a backdoor kind of situation from what i've read at least like it was very much like well known around town like oh you going to stonewall tonight and also at this time there were a lot of rules about what was considered appropriate in public as well as in private like i remember watching drag race a few years ago and they had an episode about stonewall and they made a comment i don't know how truthful this is but like you when it came to like drag and cross-dressing so to speak you had to be wearing like three articles of clothing assigned to your gender at all times or else you were seen as like quote unquote cross-dressing oh lord like it was very highly policed and places like the stonewall were raided all the time by the police because they were just trying to find reasons to cause a ruckus And it's, it's really upsetting, but anyways, back to this woman in handcuffs, she escaped repeatedly and she had to be the, the word they use was fetched multiple times.
1: That is so fetch.
0: She had to be fetched. She fought with at least four police officers swearing and shouting for about 10 minutes. And people described this woman as quote, typical New York city, butch. And they have also said she was the gay community's Rosa Parks. Oh, my Lord. I know, right? (laughs) I was like, what are these quotes? Um, Once again, disputed to be stormy, but she, as well as others that were there that night, claim it was, in fact, her. This woman was later hit over the head with a police baton by an officer, according to a witness, after she claimed the handcuffs were too tight. She's like, hey, um, can you loosen these? And they were like, no, and they hit her on the head. Um, She began bleeding from a head wound as she fought back, inciting the crowd to, like, join her. Um, The quote that they used that she apparently said was, quote, why don't you guys do something? So, call to action, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And the crowd began fighting back as she was loaded into the car. While she may not have been the, quote, woman, all accounts agree that Stormy was, in fact, present this night and was one of several butch lesbians fighting back against the police. Also, fun fact, a lot of people don't know this, but um, you know that Judy Garland is a gay icon, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, do you know why?
1: Not particularly, no.
0: Well, it's, I didn't realize this until like a year or two ago, but her funeral actually coincided with the same like weekend or night of the Stonewall Uprising
1: oh
0: okay and a lot of people were obviously upset and she's a fantastic creative woman but i like there are other reasons why she's considered a gay icon but i always thought that that was really interesting like oh crap she was right there alongside so anyways now we're going to post stonewall um in the 1980s and 90s stormy worked as a bouncer for several lesbian bars in new york city she became a member of the stonewall veterans association as well as chief of security ambassador and from 1998 and 2000 the vice president she was a regular at new york city pride parades and served as a volunteer street parole officer and she was known as quote the guardian of lesbians in the village i love that (laughs) She organized and performed at benefits for battered women and children. And on this, Stormy had to say, quote, someone has to care. People say, why do you still do that? I say it's very simple. If people didn't care about me when I was growing up, with my mother being Black, raised in the South, I said, I wouldn't be here. So she's just like paying it forward pretty paying much. Paying it forward, Yeah. She lived at the very famous Hotel Chelsea for decades and quote-unquote thrived on the atmosphere created by many writers, musicians, artists, and actors. Nice. She reportedly continued working as a bouncer up until the age of 85.
1: Oh my god, can you imagine going to Stonewall and showing an 85-year-old woman your ID? I would love it, personally. That's funny.
0: I'd be like, I know you're on the clock right now, but can you come dance with us? (laughs)
1: We buy you a drink.
0: <laughs> yeah, come on, Stormy. Um, so she suffered from dementia in her later years, and but her childhood and Stonewall memories always remained intact despite everything that was going on. From 2010 to 2014, she lived in a Brooklyn nursing home. And June 7th, 2012, Brooklyn Pride, Inc. honored Stormy at the Brooklyn Center for Ethical Culture, which I thought was a really cool name, On April 24th, 2014, she was honored alongside Edith Windsor by the Brooklyn Community Pride Center for Fearlessness and Bravery. And Annabelle, are you familiar with Edie Windsor? I'm not. So Edie Windsor was the lead plaintiff in the 2013 Supreme Court United States um, case that overturned Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act and was like, she was considered a major player in the legalization of same-sex marriage across the United States. Okay. Because um, she had been married to a woman. I can't remember her name at the moment, but basically the woman got ill, I believe. And she couldn't go see her because she wasn't quote unquote family. And it's a Edith Windsor is honestly one of the coolest individuals yeah so her partner died in 2009 and she became the exeter and sole beneficiary of the state and she was required to pay a lot in federal taxes for the inheritance of her white wife's estate it was just a mess but it's a really cool case and I really encourage you all to go look into Edie Windsor because she's a badass hoe she's sadly no longer with us but she's really cool and yeah sorry
1: all right right, I'll do some reading
0: I love I once again like I've said this before but I love people that are of a certain generation like older individuals that are part of the LGBTQ community that are still fighting because you know with the HIV and AIDS crisis we pretty much lost a whole generation of people. Sure, yeah. And it's obviously very you know very sad and very like triggering to think about, but they these people such as like Edie Windsor and Stormy DeLavier are still out here fighting despite all this, because they want people for the future to be able to have what they didn't necessarily have in the past. So sorry, off my soapbox. I'm just so emotional. (laughs) Um, At this time, she was also presented with the proclamation from New York City public advocate, Letitia James. And sadly, one month later, on May 24th, 2014, Stormy died in her sleep in her Brooklyn nursing home. She had no immediate family members at the time of her death, but her friend, Lisa Canastrasi, had become one of her legal guardians. And she stated the cause of death to be a heart attack, but I don't know if that was ever confirmed. And she remembers Stormy as, quote, a very serious woman when it came to protecting people she loved her funeral was held on may 29 2014 at the greenwich village funeral home and the new york times obituary for de la read as follows quote tall androgynous and armed she held a state gun permit miss de roamed lower 7th and 8th avenues and points between into her 80s patrolling the sidewalks and checking in at lesbian bars she was on the lookout for what she called ugliness any form of intolerance bullying or abuse of her baby girls Aww. she literally walked the streets of downtown manhattan like a gay superhero she was not to be messed with by any stretch of the imagination no, and that is the story of stormy de i love
1: it thank you that's fabulous <laughs> she seems really cool
0: she is She's, like, really cool. Like, it literally, the first time I looked up a picture of her, I, I did not clock the spook. Like, I was like, that's a man. But she's good at her job.
1: Super androgynous, yeah. <laughs> Ambiguous. We'll never know. Okay, so to wrap us up for this week, um, my final story is about the Great Resignation Wave. So people in America are quitting their jobs at record rates, which is kind <laughs> when you think about everything going on and how uncertain a lot of things are, but it's starting to get better. Um, you know, yes. a lot of places are reopened as we've previously discussed. Um, we know that's not necessarily the case internationally. A lot of countries are still really struggling with COVID like Brazil and India and some other places like really are having trouble getting their cases down. Hopefully help is mm-hmm. on the way with vaccines there. So TBD, we'll probably talk about that another time. But in the United States, there's just a wave of people who are like, F this, basically, <laughs> they like don't want to do it anymore. Um, I think, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the pandemic has really kind of forced people to reflect on a lot of things and about what's important to them and what they want to do with their time and whether or not they want, they feel like they're getting paid enough for what they have to deal with and stuff like that. So, and in a lot of cases, people don't think, their time is worth what they're doing so they're just kind of putting in their two weeks and walking out the door truly i mean all sorts of reasons can really be pointed as to why people are deciding to leave it could be burnout it could be you know lack of competitive pay flexibility and remote working might be going away soon so a lot of people are walking away for those reasons um And the labor market, as we know, is doing really well right now because it's improving. A lot of places that had to furlough or lay off people are hiring them back and they can't do it fast enough. Um, So there are a lot of openings, which is a good thing. Um, And all industries are starting to see this. This is not specific to certain sectors, the economy. And what's also been nice is that people who were lucky enough to keep their jobs during COVID, they've been able to kind of accumulate money and just kind of improve their savings and sit on it because there's only so many things you can you can do like in the height of quarantine Um, and especially if you were very conservative about going anywhere Mm -hmm. or you know travel or going to restaurants or something like that those people were able to kind of just sit on a lot of money that they haven't had to spend so their cost Mm -hmm. of living was down so a lot of people who have decided that they don't want to work at their certain workplace anymore they have the money to kind of take time off and figure out what they want to do and apply for other things they don't necessarily have to have something lined up right now before they quit so they're able to live off their savings which is definitely a good thing because they can take a little bit of a break too which is definitely nice and we don't do enough of that in this country in my opinion mm-hmm. and for a lot of people working from home like because you're not in the office or you're not going to meetings or you're not even like bumping into people regularly the social aspect of work is really kind of taken out of the equation so it kind of becomes just the actual tasks like the actual work that you have to do and that can be really mundane for some people but if you don't have the interpersonal element that can kind of take away from the quality of work for a lot of people or even if you do kind of enjoy working from home. A lot of people look at the tasks they're doing and they're like, why am I doing this? This is terrible. I don't want to do this. This is boring. This is stupid. Whatever their opinion is on it. So they're kind of wondering if this is fulfilling enough for them. And they're kind of deciding to walk away. Um, And a lot of people have decided to quit if they're being forced to return to an office. A lot of people kind of value being able to work remotely. A lot of people say that they have a higher quality of life. Um, I can attest to this. I have to go back to the office in August and I am So sad about it. I do not want to go back, but I'm not gonna quit over it. Um I never left. But yeah, Alyssa is an essential news producer. We love her the work that she does for this country. Not all heroes wear capes. Jesus. As I've been working from my kitchen table, plugging away in Excel spreadsheets. Um little little bit different here, but I've been able to work from home. So I can talk a little bit more about that part of it for sure. Um Mm -hmm. I think the higher quality of life is absolutely a thing because people can take breaks during the day or you know you're probably saving money on like lunches and for me a big thing and it's such a simple thing but you don't have to dress up like i work at a bank as i've said so we have a very conservative dress code we have to dress like business casual if not business professional in suits so just being able to wear a t-shirt and nike shorts or leggings when it was cold is a big change and a very nice one that i'm not excited to go back to
0: i will say um before the pandemic i used to like get dressed for work and like put on makeup and stuff but it's gotten to a point where i just showed up i started showing up in like nice t-shirts but like joggers and tennis shoes and since i'm not on air no one really cares Mm -hmm. and so that's been really nice like I do and so I get to sleep in a little bit more too before I head into my job at 1 30 in the morning but
1: (laughs) that's that's a good change I think that's Mm -hmm. probably best for you to get some extra sleep because I know it's hard to come by um the wall street journal has referred to offering people the chance to work remote as the new signing bonus and it's kind of a way to entice applicants to apply for things. Like if you didn't put work remote on a job application, on a posting, and then you added it, there's going to be a big uptick in people who apply. Mm -hmm. The data says if you're able to work remotely versus having to come into an office. So advertising that is definitely something that if they're okay with it, companies are using to get people hired. Um, Because like I said, the labor market's like tight right now. There's a lot of opportunities, but not necessarily people who want to fill them. So they're kind of doing what they can to get people to come to this company versus that company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what I don't understand is why don't you just give them a signing bonus? <laughs> why don't you just pay people more? Because wages have been so stagnant in this country. And maybe if you paid them a little bit more, maybe they'd be more likely to join your team. I don't know, just a thought. Alyssa is making a crazy face right now. I'm assuming she agrees with me. I do, I do. So what this means for the economy, kind of tying it back to the news here. So if more people are moving into jobs that are a better fit for them, it's gonna be really good for productivity because people are not gonna be slacking off as much in theory and they will be hopefully more passionate about what they're doing and producing more and just doing more good overall for the world and for the economy. So that's definitely a good thing. And it also kind of means going forward that like job security does not really mean that you stay in one place forever. It kind of means movement potentially. Like I think it's, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but it's becoming a lot more normalized to switch jobs fairly frequently. Yes. Uh, And it's a good thing because your network will really increase and improve if you have access to different people at different organizations. So Definitely a good thing to look into. Obviously, if you're at a job that you'd like and you are compensated well and you enjoy the work, like there's no necessarily immediate need to get up and leave. But if you're unhappy, it might be potentially a good thing to look into. So, and employees right now, and I think this is really rare and I encourage people to take advantage of it when they can. Employees have a lot of leverage over companies right now because of how tight the labor market is. Mm-hmm. So employees are in the best negotiation position right now to kind of get a little bit more money or be like well this company offered me remote working and I would like to take this job but I just can't come into an office so can you do anything about that for me you know like you can kind of potentially bargain with the company a little bit more obviously you want to be respectful and professional about it but it's um we kind of hold the cards as employees now versus companies and that's very rarely the case so I certainly encourage people to um take advantage of that while they can. Um, Just because there's so many places that are desperate to hire, they'll kind of potentially give you not whatever you want, but like more than you originally would get. So definitely a good thing here. So my take on this is, my hope is that through this like big great resignation wave because people are just fed up, I really hope that wages increase like across the board for people, Wages have been so stagnant. The minimum wage has been the same for a long time. It's increased in some states, but federally it has not increased. People deserve to make a little bit more money because of the cost of living increasing. And we can talk about inflation with that another day, but I really hope that that's something that gets changed. Yeah, Salissa, what you got?
0: Oh, I was just raising my hand as like, I deserve to be paid more.
1: (laughs) Um, Alyssa absolutely deserves to be paid more. Yes. The, uh, the journalism industry is not known for their lucrative signing bonuses. <laughs> no. Also like, like
0: you were saying earlier, but th- this past year has definitely made me realize, you know, like maybe I, I don't want to stay in journal, this specific field of journalism, like news production for my entire life. You know, maybe after whenever I decide to like move on from my current position, whenever that will be, you know, maybe I might want to look more into like a social media position or something like that. So it's it's been a big learning experience. I'm not gonna lie. And you know, it it makes you feel or at least personally, I have gone through, you know, some nights where I'm like, I'm not cut out for this kind of work or I don't know if this is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. And it's a change because like you said, Annabelle, um, so many of the generations before us have stuck with one profession Mm -hmm. um, for their entire careers. And not saying that there's anything wrong with that, that is for some people, but I do appreciate the idea that other things are open for people that may not identify that way.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's just, I, I, like I said, I think COVID has given a lot of people the opportunity to reflect. And like my personal takeaway from all this is I'm very lucky to have a job where I'm fairly compensated and I like the people and I like the work and I like the company itself. So I will not be joining the great resignation wave, at least not anytime soon, um, stay tuned, but <laughs> I think if there's anything I've realized, it's that, like, quality of life and balance of life is so important to me, like, I used to really think I was going to be a strong career woman, where I was going to be, like, all about work all the time, and I thought that was what I wanted, but after working from home, and having the chance to play, like, tennis after work, and, you know, see my family frequently, and stuff like that, i really realize that it's not like work is still a big thing but it's not everything to me and I want a more balanced life with my hobbies and my friends and my family and my relationship and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. I really hope that other people have had the time to think about that too and they're hopefully making moves that will allow them to live a life that aligns with what they want and with their values so hopefully companies will pay more Hopefully you can negotiate for higher salaries and better benefits because people deserve to be able to afford their own lives. We need livable wages in this country. That's all I have to say about that. So, Yes. That's all I got for this week. Alyssa, do you have anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? This is a bit of a longer episode today.
0: Not really. I'm like, I'm, I'm Gucci. There's not really any big news going on other than what we've covered already. Like I said, with Miami, sending our love and support as always mm-hmm. um but yeah <laughs> don't have Great. anything
1: yeah i don't have much else either i'm sure we'll have more to report next week but thank you guys for listening to our episode this week happy end of pride happy stonewall anniversary and we will see you guys next week everyone have a good week
0: Yay!